Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. Twenty-third of January, eighteen sixty-nine. A wife-beater lynched near Rotherham. The inhabitants of that pleasant suburb of Rotherham, known as the Homes, are determined that, as far as they are concerned, a high standard of domestic morality shall be maintained, as the following interesting and edifying narrative will show. Some five or six weeks ago. A young man employed at one of the works in that neighbourhood took to himself a wife, but unfortunately, the matrimonial bliss of the newly married couple has by no means been of an unbroken character, for the young husband has so far forgotten himself as to inflict corporal chastisement upon the woman he had sworn to love and to protect. Such an early manifestation of wife-beating propensities. Would not do for the tender-hearted residents of the homes, who at once formed a secret society for the purpose of avenging the wrongs of the injured wife. A singular method of punishing the erring husband was decided upon. One evening, early in the present week, he started home after his day's labour, but he had scarcely reached the entrance gates of the establishment at which he was employed when he was pounced upon. By a number of his fellow workmen, and before he had recovered from his astonishment, he found himself hoisted astride a rail, which, being somewhat narrow and by no means round, could not afford a very pleasant seat for the unfortunate victim of popular indignation. But though the man's personal comfort was disregarded, special care. Was taken that he should not hurt himself by falling from the rail. Several persons, having undertaken the exciting task of keeping his centre of gravity in its right place, in this way, the youthful wife-beater was borne in mock triumph through the principal street of the homes, preceded and followed by a large mob of several hundred men, women, and children, some bearing lighted torches. Composed of pieces of tarred rope, but most of them beating cans and kettles, and creating thereby a most unearthly din. In order that there might be no mistake as to the object of the demonstration, there was carried at the head of the procession a board, on which had been neatly painted the word "wife beater." The affair caused great excitement throughout the whole neighbourhood. The women, especially, working themselves up to a state of fury against the elevated ruffian. The procession ended its noisy career opposite the Pigeon Coat Inn, where the man was set at liberty, 
And, to use a somewhat hackneyed phrase, he went home a sadder and wiser man. Thirteenth of February, eighteen sixty nine. Frightful death of a thief. On Monday, Dr. Lancaster, the coroner, received information on the death of Matilda Humphrey, aged forty nine, who was killed by falling from the roof of number fifty Rotherfield Street, Islington, whilst engaged in stealing lead. It appears from inquiries made by Inspector Taylor, N Division, that the deceased was a general servant at 50 Rotherfield Street. On Friday morning, she was left in charge of the house and three children. She sent the two eldest out for a walk and told the other to sit in the kitchen while she went to her bedroom. She went upstairs to the attic and cut the lead with the screwdriver that was near the window. She got a chair and leaned out of the window, trying to wrench the gutter off, but she overbalanced herself and was precipitated to the ground a distance of more than 60 feet. She was picked up and conveyed into the house where Dr Stedman examined her and who stated that she must have died before she reached the ground. Her ribs were broken and she had sustained other very serious injuries. By her side was a large piece of lead and in the attic was found between eight and nine pounds more. The body now awaits an inquest. Twenty seventh of February, eighteen sixty nine. The street organ nuisance. At Marlborough Street on Thursday, Luigi Malverni an Italian organ grinder, was charged with playing an organ to the annoyance of Mr Hatfield de Rhodes, Clarges Street, Piccadilly, and refusing to go away when requested. Mr Albert interpreted. George Nichols, servant to Mr de Rhodes, said that at about seven o'clock the previous evening, he told the prisoner, who was playing his organ near Mr de Rhodes' house, that he must go away, as there was a lady ill. The prisoner reluctantly walked to the other end of the street and played again. And about 20 minutes afterwards, he returned and began playing nearly opposite Mr de Rhodes' house. As the prisoner refused to go away or to stop playing, Mr de Rhodes gave him into custody. Mr de Rhodes said the prisoner had frequently played his organ to his annoyance before. About a month ago, the prisoner came and played near his house, illness then being in it, and as he refused to go away, he sent for a constable and gave him into custody. But afterwards, went to the station, and having made the prisoner understand that he must go away when requested to do so, on his promising not to offend again, he did not press the charge. The magistrate said that organ players though pretending not to understand when told by persons to go away, understood very well what was meant. But the fact was, they thought they could extort money from persons 
to go away and often got more by that means than by playing. The prisoner would have to pay 20 shillings or 14 days. Thirteenth of March, eighteen sixty nine. Termination to a duel. Mistaken identity. A Canadian paper reports a most melancholy case of mistaken identity, which resulted in the untimely death of a most ill fated, albeit a perfectly innocent, young man. It appears that Mr. Gillespie an English gentleman who owns a large farm in York, Upper Canada, has been for some months past subject to a species of persecution by the circulation of several anonymous letters, the contents of which seriously affected his character. There was not a shadow of truth in calumnies so industriously spread abroad. Nevertheless, they very much annoyed Mr Gillespie the more so since they were evidently written by someone who was well acquainted with his private affairs. Ultimately, his suspicions fell upon a young man named Stephen Shaler, who had but recently arrived at the town. Two of Mr Gillespie's servants positively asserted that they saw one of the objectionable documents in his possession, and they had moreover heard Shaler speak disparagingly of their master in a house of public resort in the immediate neighbourhood. Mr Gillespie, impetuous and headstrong by nature, at once set forth in quest of his calumniator, who, as ill luck would have it, he found in the public room of the chief hotel in York. He showered upon the astonished young man a torrent of abuse before a room full of persons. Blows were exchanged, for Mr Gillespie was too much out of temper to listen to reason. A hostile meeting took place on the following morning. Shots were exchanged, and Stephen Shaler fell mortally wounded. But retribution in this case was swift and sudden. While the doctor was stooping over the dead body of the victim, a young woman, Mr Gillespie's sister, came upon the scene. The words she uttered sounded like a funeral knell to the hopes of her miserable brother. She bore in her hand a letter that had been taken from a man who was arrested upon a charge of forgery. He it was who had written the documents which had caused so much anxiety and pain to Mr Gillespie. There could be no question about this, as he had confessed as much since his arrest. The unhappy duelist was panic-stricken and tortured by the pangs of an accusing conscience. In his haste and anger, he had not paused to consider how far Shaler was culpable. He had ruthlessly slain a man whose only fault was being, as far as personal appearance was concerned, like the real culprit. The last named is perhaps one of the most unscrupulous men in the colony. Mr Gillespie has not recovered from the shock occasioned by the mournful termination to a quarrel which was brought about by his own impetuosity and imprudence. 
this is another case added to many more of mistaken identity. Thirteenth of March, eighteen sixty nine. A dangerous leap for liberty. About ten o'clock on Saturday night, an occurrence took place on the London and North Western Railway, within a short distance from St Helen's Junction, which, it is feared, will result fatally to a man named George Langham, residing at 4 Bolton Street, Copperas Hill, Liverpool. Shortly before the time mentioned, a passenger who gave the address of Frederick Eyre, corn merchant, 23 Brunswick Street, Liverpool, informed the guard of the train that he had been swindled of a sovereign by a man who sat in the same carriage with him. The guard at once stopped the train and removed the person complained of into another carriage and locked him in. The train had not proceeded more than two miles towards Liverpool when the guard saw the carriage door opened, the party having unlocked it with a private key, and immediately afterwards Langham jumped from the doorway as the train was on full speed. With as little delay as possible, the train was brought to a standstill, and the guard and several passengers went to the foolish man's assistance. He must have been dashed to the ground with fearful violence, for he was found to be bleeding profusely from a number of wounds in the head, and on his arrival at the Liverpool Royal Infirmary, whither he was conveyed immediately the train arrived at Lime Street Station, Dr Puzzy discovered that his skull was fractured in several places, and that his injuries were so extensive as to render his recovery doubtful. Thirteenth of March, eighteen sixty-nine. Action for seduction. At the Lancaster Assizes on Saturday, Mrs. Dixon, a widow of Beverly near Appleby, sued George Atkinson, a farmer's son, for damages for the seduction of her daughter. Defendant had kept company with the daughter for a considerable time, and the courtship culminated in the birth of a child since which time the defendant had neglected the young woman. Verdict for the plaintiff, damages £100. You've been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time.